So last week we dove into the person of the Holy Spirit and our theology of the Holy Spirit is just as significant as our theology of the Father. That if you have a skewed view of the Father or even of Jesus, I think we can all agree that that will affect the way that we live and experience God. So in the same way, our theology of the Holy Spirit is so so important. So three key truths that I just want to recap from last week. Uh, number one is the Holy Spirit is not an it or a force. He's a person and he is God. Number two, the Holy Spirit has distinctive characteristics of personality. He has a mind, a will, and emotions. Right? He can be grieved. Uh, uh, he, he has desires. He has a will. Uh, and the third one is the Holy Spirit is a person we get to know and have fellowship or relationship with. Uh, R.A. Tor, he says this quote, he says that the Holy Spirit is a person, which he is, and a divine person, and we do not know him as such, then we are robbing a divine being of the worship and the faith and the love and the surrender to himself, which are his due. I love that. John 16, 17, or sorry, John 16, 7, it says this, but very truly I tell you, this is Jesus saying, it's for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That it's so interesting that God knew that we could actually know him better with the Holy Spirit than if he were here physically on the earth. He says, it's for your good, it's for your betterment that I leave, because if I don't leave, my spirit will not be in you and with you, revealing who I am and showing you who I am. Uh, that the word advocate here in Greek is parakletos, which means helper, counselor, comforter, but specifically it means called to one side. The Holy Spirit is the one who is called to our side. That we know that Jesus is not physically on earth anymore. That he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, but his spirit is tangibly here on the earth with and in his people that believe in Jesus. That Jesus promises that the spirit of God would come to his disciples and dwell in them, taking the place of his physical presence. Think about this, that the same presence the disciples walked with, we have today through the Holy Spirit. Uh, one way that I, I like to understand this is that the presence of God is simply a result of the Holy Spirit being present. That a simple way to think of it is wherever the Holy Spirit is present, this is where we would call the presence of God. And so today I want to talk about the presence of the Spirit. Uh, looking back into the Old Testament to give us a bit of context as we understand what this means, that in the Old Testament there was the tabernacle, okay, and later the temple. And in the tabernacle, this is where God's presence dwelled with his people. And there was the outer courts, uh, there was the inner courts, and there was the holy of holies. The outer courts is where sacrifice happened. There's the the uh, inner courts where priests can go in, but then there's the Holy of Holies where God's presence would rest on the Ark of the Covenant and only one person one, one time a year could enter in called the high priest. But between the inner courts or the holy place and the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelled, there was a veil that separated uh, the two parts. And it's so interesting that only one person, one time a year, 
born of one specific family called the high priest, like I mentioned, could go behind the veil and enter where God's presence was to atone for the nation's sin. And the reason there was a veil was because God's presence was so holy that sin could not be in it or a person would die. So God was in proximity to his people. However, the veil in the temple was a constant reminder that sin made humanity unfit for the presence of God. So the veil was there separating people's ability to enter into God's presence. And it wasn't because God's presence was was you know, bad that our sin couldn't come into it, but it's God's presence was so good and so holy and so pure that because of our sin, we couldn't coexist in that place. And so this veil kept the two separated. Now, fast forward to Jesus, go to Matthew 27, 50 to 51. It says this, and when Jesus had cried out, this is Jesus hanging on the cross, it says that he cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain or the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. And so at the moment of Jesus's atoning death on the cross, we know this, we, we actually know this historically, that the veil of the temple during Jesus' time was actually torn open. And when we think about this veil, this isn't like your shower curtain, um, you know, thin linen veil. Um, early Jewish tradition actually stated that the temple veil was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and approximately four inches Thick. This was no ordinary veil. This was not a veil that you can just grab scissors and cut it. And, and th- th- this was a veil that no man could tear, but God could. <laughs> Only God could tear this veil. And the tearing of the veil through Jesus's death symbolizes the access to his presence that has been restored, that his presence is no longer limited to certain people at a certain time in a certain place that his access has now been restored. We see this in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, 19 to 22. It says this, and so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly, I love that, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place, right? This is the holy of holies because of the blood of Jesus, that by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain that is his flesh or through the veil into the most holy place. Verse 21 says this, and since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right in. Let us go right in to the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So Jesus not only tore the veil to give you access to his presence, he actually changed your very nature by making you so holy and pure that his presence can actually dwell within you. Now think about the fact that the very presence behind the veil, that if any sinful thought or deed would walk into it, it would literally die. That very presence, Jesus did such a transformative work on the cross that he actually transformed your innermost being, your nature. He changed who you were. He made you a temple. And so who you are now from the inside, right? He, He made your spirit holy and pure that his presence could actually now dwell within you. 
right? That Jesus said that his presence through his spirit could come to dwell in and among his followers so that we now can become living, breathing, walking temples. That God, we obviously all agree that God is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere present. But when you look at scripture, scripture is more concerned with his presence being made manifest in relationship and redemption. And that happens through the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know? Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? I love that because I feel like that, that statement is, is, is true today. <laughs> Just as true as it was for the Corinthian church, that statement is true today. Do you not know that you are a temple? And I believe that that revelation that truth that as believers, we are now a temple of the Holy Spirit is something that we have barely scratched the surface of. Paul is telling them, hey, don't forget this fact. Don't forget this truth that you are now a temple. And I think so many Christians live void of God's presence in their lives because they don't understand the reality and the depth that they've received through the Holy Spirit. And this is why the enemy, if we even just look back the past 30 years, this is why the enemy has worked so hard to distort the Holy Spirit, minimizing him to an impersonal force rather than a person who is God. We've also allowed the enemy to make weird experiences attributed to the Holy Spirit, an excuse for us to not desire him. And we also see that the majority of churches have structured their services in a way that ignores and cuts off the Holy Spirit's ability to move because we're more focused on growing our church than honoring him. Do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit and he dwells in you? Chris Burns, he says this quote, he says that the the mighty glory that ripped through the curtain veil in the four walls of the old covenant temple over 2000 years ago. And the church has been trying to put the veil back almost ever since. That we prefer a safe and domesticated presence, that we won't let him challenge us. Our meetings often invite his presence, but only so much as to give us goosebumps. We're fine if he comes inside our allotted worship times, but we carefully guard the rest of our lives once, quote, worship is over. And I think that's so true that when Jesus died, the veil was torn, that his presence no longer lives in a specific place for specific people, for, for uh, a specific time of the year. But if you've received Jesus, that the veil has actually been torn. And I think there's this awakening that needs to happen again in the church for us to remember and realize and understand that we are now temples of the Holy Spirit. So this means that, that his presence is no longer limited. Just like it says in Hebrews 10, that we can boldly enter in. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts. That his presence is able to be experienced in the totality of our human experience. That in our joy in our mourning, in our victory, in our defeat, in our strength, in our weakness, in our beauty, in our brokenness, in wholeness, and in pain. His presence can be experienced. I want to state this fact before we go further, but John 16, 14, 
Jesus says this, that he, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me. He will make me known. He will make me real. He will reveal my glory. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. J.I. Packer says the essence of the Holy Spirit's ministry is at this or any time in the Christian era to mediate the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, the Spirit is sent to make Christ real to people and to show us who he really is in his glory so that we could come to love him and trust him, obey him and show him to the world. In simplest form, the Holy Spirit makes Jesus real to us. And I think we all can agree that we need a real Jesus, that the church today needs a real Jesus. We don't need a counterfeit Jesus. We don't need uh, a Jesus that is distant. Uh, we need the real Jesus. And the only way we can know him is through the Holy Spirit glorifying him to us. So let's go to Ephesians chapter one, verse 14. Ephesians chapter one, verse 14. Love this verse. I love this verse. It says this, the Holy Spirit is the down payment on our inheritance, which is applied toward our redemption as God's own people, resulting in the honor of God's glory. So if you read Ephesians 1, Paul is listing all of these blessings that we have in Christ. In Christ, you have this blessing, this blessing, this blessing. And in verse 14, he says this statement, Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. And like I mentioned earlier, I believe that as Christians, our understanding of what it means to be a temple of the Holy Spirit is one of the truths that we've barely scratched the surface of and that we've truly just brushed by. And what Paul is saying here, which is so profound when we actually get this, Paul is saying that, he, that our experience of the Spirit now on earth is a foretaste and promise of what will be ours when we fully possess our God-given inheritance in heaven. I think we can all agree that the inheritance we're going to receive in heaven is going to be pretty massive. Think about the healing in heaven, the, the wholeness in heaven, the joy in heaven, the 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 pleasure in heaven, the satisfaction in heaven. You know, I know for me, there's going to be no neck back pain in heaven. Amen. And so think about all of the inheritance and the fullness that we have in heaven. Paul is saying the Holy Spirit now on earth is a down payment of everything we're going to receive. So I want to break this down practically because I want us to see how mind blowing this is. So let's say we put a price on our internal inheritance. Obviously, our inheritance is eternal. You cannot measure it. We'll never be able to fully quantify how much of our inheritance we are going to receive. But let, let's just stay with me. Let's say we put a price on our eternal inheritance. Let's say it's a billion dollars, right? This is the, the net worth of Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, the richest men on earth earth right now. So let's say our inheritance is, is about that, $1 billion. Now, let's say a down payment is 10% of that inheritance. 10% of a billion dollars is $100 million. Do you know how much money that is? A down payment of a billion dollars is 100 
million dollars. Now let's break this down even more. That if you were to make a hundred thousand dollars salary a year, which would be pretty nice, right? That if every year for a hundred years you were to make a hundred thousand dollars, right? Six figures for a hundred years, you would still be left with ninety million dollars. And that down payment is still an insane amount of money. And I think we can all agree that our eternal heavenly inheritance is worth much more than all of the amount of money that Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk have here on earth. So if this is the case, then what is our inheritance that the Holy Spirit is a down payment of? I'm going to simplify this because, yes, there is the joy, the peace, the pleasure, the healing, and the wholeness. But I love Psalm 16, verse 5. It says this, The Lord himself is my inheritance, my prize. He is my food and drink, my highest joy. He guards all that is mine. That ultimately the Lord himself is our inheritance. To know him, to be with him, and to experience him. And so our inheritance in heaven is him. <laughs> He is the prize. He is our inheritance. And everything else flows from him. So what does this mean practically for us? That our ability to know God and experience his presence here on earth through the Holy Spirit is a down payment or let's say 10% of what we will receive. If that's true then God's presence is so much more tangible. His joy is so much more accessible. He is so much more satisfying and greater freedom is fully possible here on earth. Because of the Holy Spirit, there's so much more of God for us to know and experience. And that's what I want to unlock. That's what I want to unlock in our church and, and, and in just people today that, man, we need to know the person of the Holy Spirit. Our inheritance can be enjoyed. A portion of our inheritance can be enjoyed here on earth because we have the Holy Spirit. And I think this is why we see so many people, I mean, let's be real, in this day and age, going after new age and and spiritual things and and tapping into things like crystals and all this stuff because they want something real and unfortunately they are experiencing something real it's just the counterfeit demonic version of what we have through the holy spirit and who knows that if there is a counterfeit then that means there's something real and i think it's time for the church today to remove the veil that we've put back up that jesus actually tore down and for us to understand the person and the presence of the holy spirit I want to say this statement that we, I think, can acknowledge that God's spirit is in us theologically, but we don't acknowledge his spirit being with us relationally. That the word with implies interaction, company, association, conjunction, or connection. Holy Spirit in us is what makes us one with Jesus and the Father, but Holy Spirit with us is what allows us to experience him. This is the difference between the indwelling presence and the manifest presence of God. Jesus says this in John 14, verse 16 to 17. He says this, I will ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with, there's that word, with you forever. 
the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus makes a distinction between Holy Spirit being in us and Holy Spirit living with us. And I love here that Jesus says, he calls the spirit another advocate. That word another uh, in Greek means another, but of the same kind. He is another advocate because Jesus, Jesus was also referred to as an advocate. He's also been referred to as the parakletos. Jesus saying this, this person, <laughs> Holy Spirit, he is another, but of the same kind. Second Corinthians 6, 16 says this, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will live with them. There that is again, and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. That Paul is quoting the Old Testament and how tangible God was with them. So is the same with us since God's presence dwells in us and with us. Last one is John 14, 23. And Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. That I want my life to be a home God loves to dwell in and among. That our desire as a church is to be a house for his presence where we can cultivate your union with God, but we also want to host and honor him being with us. So how can we biblically experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, not just in us, but with us? Number one is acknowledge and become aware of his presence in our every day. Acknowledge and become aware of his presence. Number two, worship and minister to him, right? The expression that we can do this is through thanksgiving, praise, and adoration. The third is meditate on his word with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The fourth is pray by talking to God and listening to his voice. One way we can do this is by practicing solitude. And the fifth and last one is physically respond to his presence, raising your hands, bowing down, etc. The way that I break this down is that God cares about Body language, <laughs> right? If you were to talk to someone and you want to you wanna feel connected to that person, but that person's just crossing their arms, you know, they're not even looking at you face to face, they're kind of looking around, you can tell because of their body posture, they're not engaged. And there's something, and that's why biblically, God says, lift your hands, right? Bow down. There's something in our body, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, there's something about responding in our strength that actually stirs our ability to become aware of him. So I want to end here. I want to read um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's go to verse 12. It says this, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very Bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Let's stop there real quick. I'm going to give you guys context. Paul is referring to Moses uh, in the Old Testament. When he came down from Mount Sinai, he was having an encounter with God. He was up in the mountain. He received the Ten Commandments. God was, you know, 
behind a cloud talking to him. And Moses has this moment in Exodus that we know where Moses is hungry. Moses wants God's presence. Moses wants to see him. And he says, God, show me your glory or show me your face. And I love God's response. God's like, no. <laughs> God says, no, I can't show you my face because if I show you my face, you will die, but I'll show you a portion. I will show you a piece or a down payment of my face. And so what happens is he hides Moses behind the cleft of the rock. He passes by him and Moses sees God's back. And that one encounter completely changed Moses's life. He came down from the mountain. His face was literally glowing. He was stained by the glory of God. He was stained by the presence of God that it was so intense that he actually had to put a veil to cover his face because the Israelites were freaking out. So this is the context that Paul is talking about. But Paul actually says here, he says that Moses, we're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. So what's interesting here is that we see that another reason Moses covered his face covered the glory with the veil was because it was passing away. So let's stay on that for a second. Remember that for a second. Verse 14 says, but their minds were made dull for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ, right through what Jesus has done, is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, come on, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Although John Bevere, his commentary on this is, obviously the Lord is everywhere, right? God is everywhere, God's omnipresent. So what does it mean for where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom? Because we know there's areas on this earth where there's not freedom. We know there's areas in Africa and and in and, and coal camps and, 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 and places where there is just, evil and darkness. We know that that there is not freedom there. So what does it mean that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom? John Bevere's commentary on this is that wherever the spirit is Lord, there is freedom. Wherever Holy Spirit is acknowledged and honored as Lord, there is freedom. Verse 18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, this is us, contemplate or reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So what's the point? Moses, who had this crazy radical encounter with God on the mountain, he tasted a portion of God's glory, right? He, he tasted a down payment of God's glory, so to speak. So much the point that it changed the trajectory of his life. But that glory, as we see, Paul says, that glory was passing away. And Moses covered his face with a veil because he saw the glory was passing away. He, he didn't want that encounter and that experience to pass away because it so marked his life. But what is Paul saying? That glory was passing away, but because of Jesus... And because you have the Holy Spirit, you're not having a glory that passes in way. You're not having a glory. You don't have a glory that fades away. You actually have a glory that 
only increases. That we actually now can go from one portion of glory to another portion of glory, to a greater portion of glory, because we have now God's spirit in us, but also with us. Come on. And this is why where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Because the Holy Spirit in us and with us magnifies Jesus. He makes Jesus real to us, right? He says, those who look to him with unveiled faces, contemplate his glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. And this is why we need the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, but also with us. And I want to unlock our inheritance as a church. I want to unlock our inheritance as people of God. And this is why I believe that the Holy Spirit has been so distorted and, and, and shelved and put away. And we've actually put away our inheritance. We've put away our access to glory that we actually are invited to know God in greater increasing glory that I want the glory that I have tomorrow to be greater than the glory that I have today. I want the glory that I'm able to walk in and experience and know 20 years from now be greater than the glory that I know and walking in today. And this is what we are invited into through the Holy Spirit. So I just want to pray. And I just want to give us space to press into this and to allow the Holy Spirit to make himself real to us. So Holy Spirit, we just say that we honor you in this place. We say that you are Lord of our lives. Jesus, thank you for your, your sacrifice on the cross. That you not only gave us your spirit, but you made us holy and righteous enough for your spirit to live in us. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal what it means for your presence to not only be in us, but with us. That we would experience right now as we're listening, the tangible presence of God. The same presence the disciples walk with, we can walk with today because we have the Holy Spirit. And this presence, you actually say, it's better for you that I leave because you will actually have more access to me through my spirit. So Lord, would you just unlock that truth? Would you unlock the revelation of the down payment we have through the Holy Spirit? Would you reveal the person of the Spirit that you would give us a hunger to want to know him? Lord, we repent for how we've approached you, Holy Spirit, that we've minimized you, maybe we've ignored you, we've, we've grieved you, we've quenched you. And we just say from today on, we want to know you and have fellowship with you. We give you permission to speak and to make yourself known, to, to magnify Jesus in our lives. So we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.